Parasite control is paramount to herd health and if not managed can be costly to any operation. What does effective control look like for our cattle herds that doesn't build immunity in that parasite population and takes into account the good bugs in our soil? You might be surprised at what you'll hear today as Dr. Mark Hilton joins me on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thank you for joining us on this program as we find ourselves kind of smack dab in the middle of the spring of the year. And I think there's about oh, three different camps of folks out there in regards to calving. If you think about it, there's there's going to be those of you, you've been done for a while, you've got everything branded if you live in a brand state, and you're ready for the summer. Then there are some of you that are finishing up calving, maybe have a few stragglers left. We'll be branding here in the next couple of weeks weeks or so and then there's folks like me and we're just getting started calving or we'll be starting calving for some of you in the next few weeks or so but anyways it's always a refreshing feeling to see a new crop of calves born every year and it doesn't matter when you start we all kind of go through the same feelings if you think about it we're very excited to start but but we're really glad when it's over right well anyways glad to have you along for today's show on parasites yeah internal parasites it's the spring of the year when we need to be thinking of these kinds of things dr mark hilton will be joining me as we talk about the what when why how of parasite and controlling these unseen uh, but very costly organisms then in our final segment meteorologist don day will join us as we get an update on our long-term weather pattern for the country and also we're going to talk about the migration of severe weather throughout the country as we go for the next several months. So be joining us for our last segment, meteorologist Don Day joining us there. Well, the Working Ranch Radio Show is brought to you by Working Ranch Magazine. And each and every week, several ways to listen and go back or catch previous episodes. Every Saturday, listen in on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM at 12 noon Eastern. Or search your favorite podcast delivery source and you can listen to it as well there, as well as any previous episodes. We appreciate you tuning in or downloading the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, right now, a shout out to our sponsors for this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association. And through the years, American Simmental cattle have gained a reputation as the science breed. The American Simmental Association's Carcass Merit Program, Feed Conversion Data, and Calving Ease Research established Simmental as a beef industry leader combining growth and carcass value with outstanding cow traits research that's backed by some of the most extensively documented genetics and largest multi-breed database in the industry. Sim Genetics is profit through science. Also, Central Life Sciences protect your cattle profits with Altaced IGR fly control products, the North American Limousine Foundation, Performance Beef, easy to use, cattle management software, the American Hereford Association, and finally, the Working Ranch Expo, December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Join us for this three-day trade show event during the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. We'll be right across from Cowboy Christmas. If you'd like to exhibit or just interested in attending, you can find out more at WorkingRanchExpo.com. 
Well, not sure if you follow Working Ranch Magazine on social media, but if you read the magazine, in each edition there is a rancher's journal, and readers have really expressed how much they enjoy this section as it follows through journaling a ranch family for a few weeks or months or so. But I just saw where the captain on social media threw, threw out an invite for folks that are interested to get a hold of him. Uh, to, if you'd like to be a part of this, would like to submit your rancher's journal, several ways you can do that to get a hold of the captain is through the website. Go to workingranchmag.com or uh, reach out to him on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Working Ranch Magazine. And might also add that if you are chosen, we're going to hook you up with some nice clothing by Wrangler. And speaking of the captain, well, let's go ahead and check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine for Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Show land. Justin, now everybody knows I'm not a tax expert. I did send a letter to the government one time stating my displeasure at paying them, but that didn't get me anywhere. But folks, what I want you to understand now is that there may be some changes to the estate tax on the federal level I just read that President Joe Biden has something up his sleeve. It's too complicated for me to explain here on this radio show, but I want you to go into your tax accountant and find out what the heck is going on. That's your assignment. Uh, Listeners, find out what's going on, how it applies to you. You have to work it on the federal and the state level. All the states are different with their estate tax. Some have them, some don't. And get back to Justin. Justin, give him your contact information so we can hear from you listeners how this estate tax thing is going down it's my two cents back to you justin yep you bet like the captain said let us know here at the working ranch radio show about the time that we think this estate tax is not going to be an issue anymore it pops up again and probably the reality of it is is that it's always going to be an issue for us in the agricultural industry and we do need to stay on top of it be aware of it let me know your thoughts. You can give me a call or shoot me a text at 307-363-COWS. Again, that number is 307-363-COWS. Or email me at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Well, stay with us. Coming up after the break, we're going to suck into the issue on parasites. More after this. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and our topic today on parasites is definitely one that's important for all of us in the livestock business because it really is critically important that our cattle are healthy and just a couple reasons off the top of my head I can think of number one just from a stewardship aspect and it's our responsibility it's just the right thing to do from an economical aspect an unhealthy herd performs poorly and they really don't maximize their potential 
So today we investigate parasites, and I brought in Dr. Mark Hilton with Elanco Animal Health. Dr. Hilton was born and raised on a swine and beef farm in central Indiana and graduated and received his doctorate from Purdue University. And as you will hear, he is a practicing veterinarian. He's done that for a number of years. Now, later on, after he was a practicing veterinarian, he went on to be the clinical professor for beef production medicine at Purdue University College of Veterinary Medicine. He's been named one of the 20 most influential bovine veterinarians in North America, according to the Bovine Veterinarian Magazine, and currently is a senior technical consultant for the cattle team at Elenco Animal Health. And been, as I said, been practicing veterinary medicine for a number of years, in fact, 37 years, and focusing on helping beef cow-calf owners have a more successful beef business. So, Dr. Hilton, thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. And I first want to go back kind of to the intro to biology to get started. And I know that if something is called a parasite, that it means it's an organism that needs a host and feeds off that host to live and to reproduce. And when I look at a bottle on the various parasite control products, there are many different types of parasites and bugs, uh, worms, so forth, listed on that. So this might be a little bit elementary for some, but just to kind of get here started on the right foot, can you specifically detail out some of the types of parasites that we see in our cattle and where they affect the animal? Right. So uh, internal parasites, you know, we we call worms, nematodes, they would be called by veterinarians are those worms that are inside the intestines, inside the stomach. And what they do is they cause the animal to eat less. So intake goes down, and so the animal performs more poorly. We also have external parasites like lice, uh, flies. The, The big picture is parasites take nutrition from the animal and make the animal decrease the amount of time that it's grazing the amount of time that it's eating and the amount of, of feed that that animal's eating, which they're taking nutrients from the animal and they're making the animal eat less, the animal's going to grow slower. Mm-hmm. Is it natural for cattle to have a certain amount of parasites in their body? Yes. The goal is not to kill all the worms. The goal is to have the animal have a low enough level of internal parasites that it's not causing economic damage to that animal. So that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we talk about things like strategic deworming programs where, you know, we're trying to decrease resistance on the, on the, against the antiparasiticides. And so one of the things I want to make sure is the producer listening to this needs to have a sit down talk with their herd health veterinarian and say, what product should I use? When should I use it? And which way oral injectable boron? Because I'm betting you have listeners from all over the United States. I've practiced in Iowa and Indiana, Midwest states. I don't really have a good handle on a parasite control program in South Louisiana or northern Montana. So it's a real specific, it needs to be customized to the farm or ranch, that that control program. Which class of animal is more likely or less likely to be parasitized? Yes. So I'm just going to assume this is a spring calving cow-calf operation because that's where, you know, 70, 80% of calves in the United States are born in the Mm -hmm. springtime. Um, Weaned in the fall, that calf has relatively 
no immunity at all to worms. As animals age, they develop some immunity to the worms, not complete, but some. So that six-month-old calf that you just weaned, that milk production of that cow has been decreasing since she hit her peak at two months of age, is eating more and more and more grass, is picking up more and more parasites, has no real immunity to them. That's the most important animal, that animal at weaning time. So, so absolutely mm-hmm. every one of those animals should be dewormed. And the ideal is after deworming, move them to a dry lot situation or a corn stalk field or someplace not pasture so mm-hmm. that they're not exposed even to more parasites. That first calf heifer um, that is, or is getting ready to have her first calf, again, immune status is not as great. She needs to be dewormed in the in the either spring or spring or fall. Most, most parasitologists would say spring about six weeks after grass turnout is ideal to, to deworm so that that animal goes out there, picks up some parasites. You inject them with uh, um, like a moxidectin. And then that kills not only those six weeks that they just ingested, but for the next two weeks, it'll kill the ostracasia out there. Mm-hmm. Yearling bulls. People are surprised to hear this, but bulls are more susceptible to parasites. So they suffer more when they're exposed to parasites than the exact same age cows. So your yearling bulls you're turning out absolutely need to be done. Your younger animals, I deworm. I have a small herd of my own and I deworm all my cows under four years of age in the spring. I deworm all my old cows over about 12 years of age. And the rest of them, I look at them and say, hey, if you're fleshy and in great shape and you calve early in the calving season, I'm probably going to skip those. Mm-hmm. And that's called refugia. And the reason I'm skipping those is that any of the animals that I deworm, if I kill 95% of the parasites, that sounds great. But the 5% I didn't kill are resistant to that drug. So if I have animals that are untreated, the, the refugia, that's a term that they can look up. It's kind of a newer term that mm-hmm. the parasitology community is using. Those animals are passing not only, you know, they're, they're passing more worm eggs, but they're not, they're, none of them are resistant to the parasiticide. So out on the pasture, I want mostly parasite eggs that have never been exposed to that, that mm-hmm. product. So kind of my rule of thumb is 10% refugia would be the minimum. And, you know, if you have a herd where nutrition is fantastic and um, cows are in great body condition score, they calved early, you know, you may, you may leave up to 30% of your cows untreated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's coming from a guy that works for a company that sells these products. You know, I'm telling you not to do it. And for most areas of the country, once a year is probably adequate. Mm -hmm. Again, I am not going to speak for the deep South where the weather is very different, but on my own herd, my cows only get dewormed once a year in the in the spring. You bet. And we're going to come back to the topic of refugia in a little bit and another question, And I, but I want to Great. continue on with um, what are the causes of high infestation in livestock? What are some of the practices yeah. that the ranchers are doing yeah. that we see that high infestation happen? Right. So I think of three things when we have high parasite loads in cattle. Number one would be inadequate nutrition. So if those cattle are not on a high enough plane of energy, protein, even vitamins and minerals, 
their immune system isn't going to work as well, and they're going to be a lot more affected by the parasites. A cow that's in great body conditions for with great nutrition, you know, she can she can tolerate some of those. But that cow that is in really, you know, under being underfed is going to have a lot more problems with parasites. Number two is if we overgraze our our land, if we graze it right down to the nub, way over 50% of the parasite larvae are in that bottom two to four inches of grass. So if you have a situation where you're doing good grazing management, where you're leaving four or five inches of grass on average out there in a pasture, that's really going to help. But when those cows have to graze right down to the ground, they're going to pick up a lot more parasites. The third one is a little bit of a paradox. And I want to really explain this well so people don't get the wrong impression. Mark Hilton is a huge fan of management intensive grazing. It is phenomenal. I've got herds that have way more pounds of beef um, weaned per acre because of excellent rotational grazing or management intensive grazing. The asterisk comes when we have a high rainfall area like I'm at in Indiana where I practiced in Iowa, 36, 38 inches a year. The rotation is bringing those cows back to that paddock about 30 days after they grazed it the first time. Well, in management intensive grazing, we're asking that cow to graze closer to the fecal pad because we're asking her to graze, you know, more uniformly, more of that grass. So inadvertently, with the wonderful technique of management intensive grazing, we have cows actually picking up more parasites. So if you're in a very low rainfall area where it might be months later, two, three, four months later that these cows are coming back, then that might actually be a positive for parasite control. Bottom line is I've never practiced in a real low rainfall area. So I don't know. I'm not the expert. If, if you're listening from one of those areas, talk to your herd health veterinarian. They should know. Talk to your extension uh, beef veterinarian at your college. Um, you know, talk to somebody that can give you advice. But the problem is I see people look on the web and they'll see a, a blog post and somebody that's got three cows in Maine says, hey, you know, I don't deworm my cows anymore because I use, you know, rotational grazing. Well, that's probably not true. You know, that's a high rainfall area and, and things like that. So management intensive grazing forces that cow to eat closer to the fecal pat. So she inadvertently picks up more parasites. So there's herds, even though they're doing a wonderful management technique, they actually may have a few more parasite issues than somebody that that doesn't practice management intensive grazing. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, Dr. Hilton, the one thing to keep in mind with all of that is just understanding the lifespan of that parasite. Right, right. And parasites hate very hot, very dry weather, and very cold, very dry weather. They That kills them. That, that desiccates those and, and takes care of them. You know, another thing is, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about dung beetles and how important they are. Dung beetles actually eat larvae from the parasites. So if you have a good population of dung beetles out on your pasture, you're using a, a dewormer like Cydectin that isn't as, you know, hard on the dung beetles, you know, that can be a natural way to help decrease parasite parasite control. And, you know, I'm all for using management instead of medicine and money to help solve problems. So so there's another way that, that it helps. 
we talked about uh, the grazing side of things. What about when, when we go to a feedlot with our cattle or we're backgrounding our calves in our own feedlots um, in, re, in trying to control p- parasitic activity? Is that a place where that needs to be applied as well? Right. So the animals need to be dewormed as they walk into that facility. There will be no transmission of internal parasites now, except for coccidia, and we're not going to talk about coccidia today, but the nematodes, the worms we've been talking about, there's no transmission in the feedlot because there's no grass. Now, if you're a stocker operation post-weaning and you're putting those cattle out on grass and you deworm them um, with an appropriate product at weaning, put them on grass, those those cattle are, are most likely going to pick up new parasites out there on the grass so they should be dewormed again as they walk into the feedlot. Mm-hmm. But there is no reason to deworm an animal. You know, again, let, let's say that the, the calf hits the feedlot on December 1st and gets dewormed with an appropriate product, uh, dose, etc. There is no reason to deworm that calf again ever. He's going to market and that's there is no reason to spend your money on, mm-hmm. on that. Well, don't go away when we come back. If a little is good, then a lot must be better when it comes to treating parasites, right? (laughs) We're going to talk about it coming up after this. Shh, hear that? It's a quiet, easy-handling Hereford cow. That's right. No broken fences, no busted gates, no injured people. Herefords lead the way in the silent traits and fertility. Studies show they increase profitability by more than $51 per cow per year. At the same time, that's real money and real results. Isn't it time for you to come home to Hereford? Learn more at Hereford.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Today, my guest is Dr. Mark Hilton with Elanco Animal Health, and we're talking about parasite control in our cattle and dr hilton i think something that sometimes we fight in our heads when it comes to treating livestock is that if a little is good then a lot must be better right so i know you're probably shaking your head so what are the cautions when it comes to over applicating our livestock on parasites right you know we, we don't want you to do that i mean the studies have been done and shown the appropriate dose for that animal and gosh, if you don't have a scale and you've got, you know, a fair number of cows, it is so worth it because it is so surprising what some of these cows weigh. Um, you know, I'll read an article that talks about the typical thousand or 1100 pound cow. And I'm like, really? That's a bred heifer in my world. We just, you know, we don't see those really small cows anymore. So if you're, if you're putting on a thousand pound dose, you're way underdosing them. But on the other hand, there is no reason to go over the recommended dose. You know, if, if a little's good, a lot's better is not it. And um, I, I had a client in practice that would always do that. And I, I told him, I says, I said, I call this the Bill Hilton theory because that was my dad. <laughs> that is my dad. And um, sometimes the, the vet would tell him to give, you know, five ml of a product and maybe he would give seven or 10 of that. And I'm like, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, from a drug standpoint, sure, I should say, yeah, always use plenty. Ah, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. The cattle deserve the best we have every day, and the producer needs to spend the least amount of money um, on product that is is where he should be. I want it to be cost effective. I'm not, I'm frugal, but I'm not stupid on spending money on product. I spend money 
I deworm my cows. I deworm them exactly like I described, you know, earlier. All my calves get dewormed, all my yearling heifers, all my animals under four years of age. But I, I skip those cows that are in potty conditions for six on June 1st. Mm-hmm. As they walk through the chute. They had a first service AI calf. Um, you know, they've already been in heat. I can skip her. She's, mm-hmm. she's fine. And uh, again, get a scale because it's it's an eye opener. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just cannot guess those animals close enough, and the it, scale ends up paying for itself. Yeah. When when we talk about over applicating, and you talked about this a, a bit ago in one of your answers, over applicating could also include where we're going to do this spring and fall. So maybe retouch back to that again. Right. I I just. You know, again, in wherever I've practiced in the Midwest, Iowa and Indiana, and you know, Illinois is right in between. So I'm pretty sure I could give the same, you know, suggestion for Illinois. But on our spring calving herds, the ideal is once a year, about six weeks after grass turnout. If you have a, an extensive operation where that's impossible, then give them a you know injectable product that has persistence of activity. Um, you know, one of the, the avermectin type products, nobomycin, you know, cydectin uh, product, you know, inject that as they go out to, to grass. If that's, if you're not doing anything to your cows that time of the year, and I'm putting fly tags in my cows, you know, we talked to us just a tiny bit about mm-hmm. externals, you know, the fly tags were great to help prevent horn fly infestations. But if you're not doing anything to your cows in the spring and you say, oh, I'm going to deworm in the fall, that, that's okay. That, that's a, that's another, you know, that's an alternative also to do that. But for, for a lot of the United States, once a year is enough. Mm-hmm. If you live in an environment that really never gets frozen and gets lots of rain, you may be looking at twice a year. And that's why, you know, I, I got a call from a, a producer in, in uh, Louisiana about, about some cow questions. Oh, it was probably six months ago or so. And, the questions he was asking me, I knew I was very qualified to answer those. And he goes, I, I got a question on parasite control too. And I'm like, I'm not your person. Christine Navarre at Louisiana State is an expert on parasite control in that Southeast United States. And I said, here's her phone number. Call her. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. You've got to know what the recommendation is for your operation. Every beef operation is different. And you've got to customize that. I'm just so against people just buying something off the shelf and hoping for the best. I just, you know, it's such a waste of money to give the wrong product at the wrong time or to too many animals. Producers need to try to keep as much money in their back pocket as they can. Well, and I think when it comes to deworming products, for the most part, relatively inexpensive per head. So I think it's a real easy thing to just say, well, let's do it let's do it twice as much each time and do it three times right. a year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for heaven's sakes, please, please, please producers do not use a pour on dewormer just to control flies. E- even if it's cheaper than, you know, a product like Prumectrin CDS to control flies, because you are building up resistance big time by doing that over and over and over again. That is that is where we're seeing the biggest resistance problem. So mm-hmm. if, if I'm deworming, I'm deworming. If I'm treating for flies, I'm only treating for flies. I'm not treating for both. Mm-hmm. So hugely important that they do not use 
a pour on a Remectin type product just for fly control. That that product's not going to work in a few years. It, it will be, you might as well squirt it on the ground. Mm-hmm. And we've got to save our products so that they continue to work for us. Well, don't go away. In our next segment, we're going to talk about parasite control and its effect on the good bugs, things like dung beetles and earthworms. More after this. If you could do something today that would bring you profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with limousine genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds naturally to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with limousine genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as limousine today, profit tomorrow. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. My guest today is Dr. Mark Hilton with Elanco Animal Health. Parasites in our cattle is the main overall topic, and we now go into a subject within that topic that has uh, been a little controversial just in regards to folks now becoming quite aware of what parasite control products can do to affect the bugs in our soil, the good bugs like the dung beetles and the earthworms. So, Dr. Hilton how do we find that balance with parasitic control not harming the dung beetles and our earthworms that do so much to create a healthy soil? Yeah. You know, I mean, we've, there's been lots of surveys done with producers. To me, it's absolutely fascinating how many producers are well aware of the benefits of dung beetles. Uh, It didn't surprise me that uh, equal number or higher number were, were, really familiar with the benefits of earthworms. I mean, if you read any of the early um, grazing guru kind of books, um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name right off the top of my head, but you know, he talks about the huge benefit of earthworms to a pasture situation with those, those animals in increasing the um, infiltration of moisture into the soil and adding nutrients to the soil. And dung beetles do the same thing. They they break down that fecal pat. They eat they eat horn fly larvae for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm. So a natural predator that helps kill horn fly larvae, so that I don't have to use as much um, product and spend money on it. So producers are well aware of dung beetles and well aware that you know earthworms and dung beetles can be impact impacted by dewormers and moxidectin is very friendly. Um, I I don't remember what the number was. I think it was, you have to give 800 times the dose of moxidectin to uh, negatively affect dung beetles. So I've used the product for years and years and years. I mean, it's the, when it came out that it was friendly to dung beetles and earthworms, I said, if it costs a few cents more, that's, that, that doesn't bother me because that investment is paying me big time by having a, a you know a natural um, helper out there, right in mm-hmm. my in my pasture that's breaking down those fecal pats, um, putting that um, that nutrition back into the soil, and helping to kill corn fly larvae. That all equals profit for my bottom line, and that makes my cattle, you know, healthier and more profitable. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, 
you know, well aware of that. And to me, it's, it's really encouraging how many producers yeah. are well aware yeah. of the, the benefits of dung beetles and earthworms. As we talk about some natural immunity of things, you talked a little bit about refusa, and that's interesting because I, I've also heard of, of producers trying to, um, you know, basically keeping replacements out of their cows that have seem to have more natural immunity mm-hmm. to this kind of stuff. And that's something you were talking a little bit about as well, is really watching your livestock and seeing those that are not really showing any effects, have good body condition score, not treating them and hopefully building some natural immunity within your herd. Right. You know, when I, when I taught at Purdue, we would go out and look at a, you know, a herd on a consultation visit or something like that. And the owner would have some specific questions and the students would start asking the, answering the questions. And I would say to them, I said, you should always ask the cows because the cows know the answer. Mm -hmm. The cows are in great body condition score. They get bred quickly. They have zero to absolute minimal disease problems, the cow's telling us things are pretty darn good on that place. And we better not screw things up. The cows are telling us. I had a couple clients when I was in practice in Iowa and both of their herds were very close to um, a highway. And I would have just random people say to me, oh my gosh, I drove by so-and-so's the other day. This, How come his cows are so skinny? And I said, because he doesn't realize it. He just didn't realize his cows were that thin because he saw them every day. And that other herd that was X number of miles down the road, they were always over fat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, different people that knew more about cattle would say, wow, he, he must have a, you know, some free feed or something, <laughs> yeah. something like that. So those cows were always, you know, over fleshy. So the one guy is, is wasting money on overfeeding. The other guy's wasting his investment mm-hmm. because those cows are not going to perform like their genetics should should be performing. Mm-hmm. You know, long calving season, you know, have heifers having trouble having calves because they're so thin they can't push them out, you know, poor weaning weights. And, you know, I tried so hard to help him. I'm like, you've got to get these cows in better shape. You know, you've got to improve the nutrition on these mm-hmm. on these cows. So the cows tell us so much. Yeah. We need to just back up and look at the cows. And, mm-hmm. you know, your idea of someone that is keeping such great records that they're keeping heifers out of them. I love that idea because if we can use genetics to solve some health issues, mm-hmm. you know, that that is brilliant. That's I think that's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. We just talked a little about trying to create some natural immunity in our herds through the selection of our breeding females. I've seen some seed stock programs that have touted that there are animals that have more resistance to parasites. What have you seen on that? I see advertisements when people are trying to sell animals talking about natural resistance to parasite. I've seen zero research on that. So I think that's sizzle, not steak. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison von Enenman at UC Davis and her group are doing tons of genetic research. Their first thing they're looking at is bovine respiratory disease because that's by far the biggest dollar loss in the beef industry is the fact that 16% of all cattle that go to the feedlot get pneumonia. That's abysmal. And they're looking for genes and they're finding some things. The early research that was done 20, 40 years ago really showed not much genetic differences on disease. 
And now that they can look at the whole genome, they're finding out, hey, we can we can find some things. So our technology has really allowed us to look at that. So I, Justin, I think mm-hmm. we will see a lot more research in those areas. Mm-hmm. But if somebody tells you their animals are genetically resistant to parasites, I would ask to see their um, research studies mm-hmm. that have been done. Yeah, um, because you know I. I just, I want to know, you know, I try to be a scientist, but I also try to be practical. And so hearsay is not good enough for yeah. me. A controlled study where it was really done, you know, really done well before I'm convinced that it's it's something I need to change. Well, Dr. Hilton, before we come to a close in our conversation today, something you said at the very beginning that I really want to make sure people hear, and that is, how important it is to have a discussion with your local veterinarian about treating your herd because as you said a treatment that's a one-size-fits-all for every cow herd across the country is not correct there's a lot of variables that are factors in parasite activities things like soil compositions to rainfall to the feed we're using various things agree and i I just i just you know dewormers they're very cost effective, but they're one of the most expensive pharmaceuticals that you're going to buy for your cow for the year. In, in most cases, it's going to be the most expensive. And to, to waste that money by giving it the wrong time or the wrong animal or, you know, the wrong way to, to give it, golly, just mm-hmm. sitting down with your herd health veterinarian for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and making a plan that works for that area Well, Dr. Hilton, I want to thank you for joining us here. And I think you might have surprised a few folks, myself included, with some of your responses, because as you are a consultant to an animal health company, I think there was an assumption, and I'll probably have to be in that class of those that were assuming this as well, that your recommendations were going to be pretty much 100% treatment and not taking into account the idea of not treating some of these animals that don't need it and also being very aware of how that treatment can affect the bugs in our soil. So I think that was good to hear from an industry professional like yourself. You know, when I interviewed with Elanco, I was I was at Purdue and loved my job. I wasn't looking to leave, but they called me and um, I asked the veterinarian that ended up being my boss. The last question, he said, do you have any questions? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I, I get to speak at veterinary meetings all over the place. And I said, you've been in the audience. And I said, you've heard me say we need to use management instead of medicine and money to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And I said, Elanco makes medicine and they charge money for it. I said, am I going to still be able to say that? <laughs> he looked me in the eye and said, never compromise your ethics. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I can work for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the cattle deserve the best we have every day. And the owner needs to have the most profit that he can have every day. Beef cow calf producers work too hard to make too little money. And my goal is to help them be more financially successful. All right. Well, that is a good comment to end on there. So, Dr. Hilton, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Dr. Mark Hilton with Elanco Animal Health. Well, stay with us. Our final segment's coming up. Meteorologist Don Day joining us as we look at our long-term weather and how the migration of severe weather across the country will develop in the next several months. How do you manage data for your cattle business? Stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs. Get real-time access from anywhere with Performance Beef. 
update rations, generate real-time closeout reports, record health data at the chute, in the pen, or pasture, or analyze performance trends all in one place with ease. Your feed, financial, and health information is integrated in one easy-to-use platform accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to learn more and request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we are joined now by meteorologist Don Day. And uh, Don, as we're kind of just uh, about to wrap up here the month of April and starting into the 1st of May, we're definitely seeing some transition in our weather. And I know for some folks, uh, maybe in the in the Rocky Mountain region, probably tired of seeing some of this white stuff and want to see it more in the form of <laughs> of something that's a little more runny. But uh, so as we transition into in our spring, what are we going to be seeing here for the next month or so in our weather across the country? Well, for a lot of the nation, April has been a colder than average month. And I know a lot of folks, uh, to your point, would like to have uh, more liquid than white. And we're headed that way. You know, it does look like we are going to go into early May with warmer weather across the lower 48 states, at least closer to average. But it's some pretty warm days as well as we're finally seeing those higher latitudes throwing less in the way of cold south and those lower latitudes, high pressure building up from the southern parts of the the globe building into the United States. So we're in that transition period right now. But of course, that also means severe weather season is going to be ramping up. We're going to see more in the way of severe thunderstorms, more episodes where folks are going to see some hail. And in the southern plains and across the southeastern United States, we're also going to see an uptick in tornado activity. It's something that was suppressed during that cold period of the middle of April. It was actually so cool it suppressed a lot of the severe weather, but that's about ready to go away. Mm-hmm. I know farmers, ranchers across the country, we really watch the drought monitor map quite extensively to see how that is progressing. And we've continued to see the drought expand. There maybe has been a holding pattern in some cases as we went through March and April for some areas of the country. But that the drought status, nevertheless, we're still kind of seeing that maybe expand a bit. Yeah, and there are some areas where it's definitely expanding. There have been a few, I'll call them islands, islands of precipitation that have, that happened in March and in the parts of April that did give some relief to small areas of the high plains and Rockies and parts of the Midwest. This would be parts of central and eastern Nebraska, parts of Colorado, and parts of southern Montana. But we've seen an expansion of the drought conditions over North Dakota, Many areas of northern and western South Dakota, eastern areas of Montana, and then you go back into the the southwestern United States. You know, the drought conditions have not uh, improved at all over Utah, the western slope of Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico is, is in a really bad situation, as well as Nevada and many areas of California. And we still see a lot of dryness in Texas and parts of southern Oklahoma. And while the Corn Belt, for the most part, isn't doing bad, we still have some dry pockets in northern and northwestern Iowa as well. So um, drought is always extremely stubborn to get rid of. It takes a lot to break the drought cycle. And even though we've seen an influx of moisture, and we will see some more in some of the drought areas in May, uh, we still got a long way to go. Once we look past the next month or two, what's our next potential forecast for weather cycles or weather storms that could come in and maybe drop some isolated uh, thunderstorms that would help some folks? 
Well, usually what you see is we, we, we do have this uptick in, in precipitation normally as we get into the month of May and into early June. That does appear to be, for a large part of the U.S., a pretty wet period. After that cycle runs itself out as we get into June and July, a lot of the precipitation, the large majority of it, is going to fall with those with those thunderstorms and showers that develop. We call those air mass thunderstorms, thunderstorms that just form from the heat of the day and available moisture. What we'll be looking at initially will be the desert southwest and the far southern Rockies. The summertime, what we call the North American monsoon season, when moisture works its way through Central America, through Mexico, into the southwest United States, that is a really key period of time as you get into June and early July for that part of the nation. Uh, last year, the North American monsoon season was really, really bad, and that's one reason why the southwest United States is in such bad shape right now. That's an area we're going to watch as we get into early, mid-June, especially Arizona and New Mexico, and see how those folks do. Across the rest of the United States, a lot of times early June can still bring you some leftovers of May storms, and that'll be something that we'll keep a watch on, something coming in from the Pacific. But once you get past about the middle of June, we really just have to rely on those thunderstorms. And that's why when you get to that time of year, it's a little bit more of a roll of the, of the dice in terms of who gets the best rain because it's not as persistent. It doesn't cover as much area. That's why May and early June is so important. Mm-hmm. We've talked uh, last week about the southeast part of the country, the Gulf states having some severe weather. That's really going to start to pick up. Yeah, in fact, uh, we're going to see this over the next week or so. A couple of systems will be moving across Oklahoma, Texas, into those uh, Gulf Coast states, and there's going to be an uptick in severe weather. And that is an area that's preferred for severe weather come late April and early May. And uh, that is something that in the coming weeks folks need to be prepared for. And also what will happen, Justin, is that over the next several weeks, the amount of severe weather tends to creep a little bit more north as the seasons change. And so while we're talking the South Central United States and Gulf Coast over the next week or two, after that, you're going to see it getting more into the the Great Plains, get into Missouri, get into more areas around Kansas, parts of the Southern Corn Belt. As we get deeper into May, that line of severe weather, the activity does tend to drift more north. So first it starts south and makes its way north in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. All right, Don. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. You have a good week. You too. Don Day with dayweather.com. And you can find his daily video podcast on his website. Subscribe there as it kicks out every morning, Monday through Friday. Well, to wrap up our show today, first I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Mark Hilton with Elanco Animal Health, the captain, Tim O'Byrne with Tim's Two Sids, and of course, meteorologist Don Day, who we just heard from as well. Thank you to our sponsors, the American Simmental Association, Heterosis Works, which is why with Simmental, it's more per head, period. Find out more at Simmental.org. Central Life Sciences, protect your cattle profits with Altacid IGR fly control products. The North American Limousine Foundation, performance beef, easy to use, cattle management software, the American Hereford Association, and the Working Ranch Expo. Join us all down in Vegas December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Las Vegas Convention Center during the NFR for this three-day trade show hosted by Working Ranch Magazine right across from Cowboy Christmas. If you'd like to exhibit or to attend, give us a call or check it out at workingranchexpo.com. 
This has been a production of the Working Ranch Magazine. If you have questions, ideas for topics on the show, or would like to get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS or shoot me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.